When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome back to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton, joined alongside Frances Tomas, as always, of ESPN and Guardian fame. And we've got a fancy new show for you today. If you haven't done so, or you're new to the pod, please go on iTunes, give us a subscribe. Some five stars is always nice, a nice little review as well. That helps the show grow, that helps us spread the show around. And if you like it enough to be a Patreon, we really, really appreciate that as well, so we can keep making new shows as we have our big 50th show coming up next week. But before we get to 50, Frances, we got to do 49, and what are we talking about today? Well, today we've got plenty of um, different topics to talk about. Before we start, though, I want to really briefly uh, make all our listeners aware of something that John Patillo said to us in, during uh, the game yesterday. Um, and he was saying, big thanks to the Barcelona pod at Twitter, so at the Barcelona pod, for teaching me about Peñas, which are local FCB fan clubs. He says, I'm watching the Juventus-Barca match in New York City with a bar full of Barca supporters, my new best friends, he says. And then he goes, Forza Barca. Um, that made me incredibly happy because obviously, in a way, when you record a podcast, you're just talking to the wall. <laughs> you sort of hope that someone will tune in to, to listen to it. And then to realize and to find out that someone as dedicated as John has been, because he's been listening to us from the start, um, being able to link with Barca supporters around the world because of the podcast, it really was great. So John, that made us smile. And uh, we're really, really pleased for the New York City Peña um, for having adopted you. So let's move on. 
In the Barcelona podcast 49, we've got different sections. We're going to start with La Pregunta, and that's should Barcelona sign Mesut Ozil in January? Then we're going to move on to La Tabla, and Dan's going to be looking at the latest results and standings from the Champions League and La Liga, but also Barca B and Barca Femini, who also played over the weekend. Then La Bolsa is going to be about players who are trading up and down this week. El Kiosco, we're going to look at the latest stories making the headlines in the Catalan media, and that's going to include Messi, Dybala, etc. And we're going to finish with our favorite part of the show, which is La Ronda of Quick Fire Listener Questions. The Barcelona Podcast 49 starts right here. And before I ask you the big question, a little aside about the uh, New York Peña, I really got to get there for one of these games. It's just worked out with my schedule this fall with work and everything that I haven't been able to go see a game there. But if you're in New York, I'm really trying to get there and uh, we'll spend some time there. But before that, we're going to have to talk about Mazut Ozil, who is the topic of La Grande Pregunta today. And the, the question, which we in previous weeks have waited to the very end to answer, uh, we can start by just answering it flat out. You give your yes or no, I'll give my yes or no, of should Barcelona sign Mesut Ozil in January? Okay. I thought I was going to be more detailed before we started into the actual sort of answer. I would say that 20 million euros for a player who plays regularly, and although he does pick injuries here and there, he's got an average of 40 to 45 games in the last three, four years for Arsenal. Um, still influential, 29 years old now. He was tremendously good in the game against Tottenham over the weekend. So um, I think 20 million euros, based on the fact that Barca are lacking creativity, I think that probably is a good move based on what we've got in the squad. But Frances, that's what I was going to say. The only reason I asked that is because I agree with you. The answer is yes, but there are tons and pros and cons to really break down in detail to this. So I, the way I think we will go about this is we'll go with all the positives about why you and I agree that it's yes, but I think there is some kind of doubt of bringing a player into this as well. So I guess, would you like to just start with the positives about what he could bring to the club? Okay, so basically, as we saw in the games, you know, over the weekend against Leganes and uh, in midweek against Juventus, um, Barca are hugely dependent on Messi in order to create. Um, obviously, when Messi was benched against Juventus, the team was pretty much, they were solid and they were consistent, but they weren't necessarily able to break or bring anything extra that could unbalance the game in their favor. So obviously, the most the more creativity we've got moving forward, the better. Now, Ozil has proved throughout his career, obviously he was incredible for Real Madrid. And to be honest, if players do play well for Madrid, I've got no, no shame on saying that they do. So Mesut Ozil was one of the players that whenever Madrid played in the Mourinho years, you thought, yep, that player could definitely um, have done a job for Barca as well. So obviously he then moved on to, to Arsenal. Um, he's got a reputation for not really showing up in big games, but um, you know that obviously depends on the people around him as well. And I think that in the right environment with the right teammates, which obviously Barca would be, and particularly when Dembélé comes back after injury, I would predict around December, January time, um, I think it would be a right environment for Ozil to, to excel. So yeah, I think he would be a good addition. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. It's a, And to explain some of what the 20 million euro and why that number is, because obviously this is a player that is probably valued for much more than that. As I said, he just turned 29, so he still has a full year before he turns 30. 
And the 20 comes from the fact that his contract expires for Arsenal in the summertime. So Arsenal offloading him in January would mean they would just get some kind of profit. Both he and Alexis Sanchez, who of course Barcelona fans will remember, the Chilean winger who played for Barca for a few years. Those two have said that they don't really want to sign a new deal. And that means that, Barca- that Arsenal excuse me, would lose them for nothing at the end of the summer. So that's why 20 million is so, so low. I don't want to say that we're snake bitten from so many of the rumors over the summer, but if I look at a 70 million Angel Di Maria, who's older than Ozil, or you look at a 29-year-old Mesut Ozil, I would have Ozil at 20 million 100 times out of 100 instead of Di Maria. I would even take Ozil over Di Maria for 70 million. And I think there's a lot of things that uh, rumors or he's one of those, how do I say this? He's one of those polarizing players very much in the same vein as Karim Benzema or David Luiz or even Danny Alves to a point that they're such polarizing figures. And when they do poorly, the media jumps all over them. And particularly the English media in the form of Luiz and Ozil when they play in Premier League. But the English media attacks them mercilessly whenever they have poor games. And then when they do well, there seems to be uh, less regard for their talents. And so they just never seem to be able to make anybody happy. Now, another point that I think is really positive about Ozil coming in January is unlike a player like Di Maria or many of the ones that we've mentioned, he's still Champions League eligible to play for Barcelona in the Champions League because Arsenal are currently in the Europa League and for the first time in who knows how many years, didn't make the Champions League. So he'll be able to play across all competitions. And I I really, you know, I was doing some soul searching. I figured you and I would agree on the surface, but, you know, you've won me over of the policy of if Barcelona are the next player that they should bring in with Iniesta being older and, you know, coming out of every game as a substitute, but still starting, that a player coming in needs to be a starter. And I think Ozil's one of those guys who fits this perfect mold of, he really could be a starter and should be a starter for Barcelona, but where he plays is going to be a question. So even if he comes in as a high-impact guy to play the last 40 minutes or so of a game, coming in for Rakitic after he's done his job, if you will, and so Mezu Ozil comes in with the creativity, a fresh Ozil in the 70th minute against a tired La Liga defense is a recipe for success for Barcelona. And so I think even if he didn't come in as an immediate starter, $20 million for even a role player and a bench player and a squad player is a good deal for Barcelona. So on the surface... I think there's so many good things. And the other thing about his big match play, I don't want to hear any of that. He's a World Cup winning player that's played in major moments, both for Real Madrid, as you talked about, as well as the German national team. So whether or not he's had bad games for Arsenal, I think is a mute point. And even then, you heard critics the day after he stars for Arsenal against Tottenham in the 2-0 win. He had a beautiful assist, the one assist of the game that was so important on the heady, on the header to Mustafi shows how good he is, especially from set pieces. And just having another weapon where it used to be Messi and Neymar over the ball every set piece, and now it's Messi, and even in that game against Juventus, it looked like it was Rakitic sometimes, sometimes Iniesta, depending on the angle, and you know Messi's, or even Luis Suarez before Messi came in. But he's going to add another set piece option where, you know, you might have to double think that it might not be Messi with the left foot, it could be Ozil. And so there's so many things from the playing part of things that he fits in. Any more positives for you? Yeah, I think the fact that we don't have anyone like him in the squad at the moment, you know, um, it looks like Valverde has in a way stuck to his 11 players and um, he's got a couple, say, um, De Paulinho, sometimes De Lufeo, sometimes Alcácer, but he's reduced the squad, which is around 23, 24 players now, to his favorite 13, 14, who keep coming in and out of the squad. 
And uh, I don't think there's many Kules out there who think that Ozil is a worse player than, say, Andre Gomez, for example, Rafinha, for example, and Arda Turan, which, you know, is the big elephant in the room. Um, I think it's clear that Ozil will be a, a player that would add more to the Barcelona team than the vast majority of subs that we've got at the moment. Now, I'm looking at some stats, and as, as our regular listeners know, we're big fans of who scored in terms of player performance. And to say disregard this current season, if you add together the previous season, so the 2016-17 and the 15-16 seasons, he played 89 matches and he scored 20 goals. He provided... 3.4 key passes per game, which is tremendous, with a passing accuracy of 86%. In terms of being dispossessed, it was only once, so 1.1 per game, and he added a huge number of stats as well along the way. So we are looking at a player that is incredibly influential. Um, he would be much more expensive, as you mentioned, he would be much more expensive if his contract was not running out. This is someone who um, I was listening to Catalonia Radio last night, um, a club that I meet Janit, which I understand is in Catalan, so the vast majority of our listeners wouldn't be able to understand, I'm assuming. Maybe very clever listeners, but you know, I don't know if they all speak Catalan. But anyway, they were talking about the fact that apparently a deal has already been agreed with Ozil. Um, it was Sanjayi uh, that went all the way to London to agree terms with um, Ozil's representative. They were talking about um, a contract that he wants. Obviously, 20 million euros seems to be the fee that um, Arsenal would be able to um, agree on. But they were looking at 3.3 years. So basically, the remainder of this year plus three more years, which then obviously would take Ozil to 32 years old at the Camp Nou, which then obviously uh, makes people wary. Because if you think about it, Look at where Turan is now. I mean, a couple of years back, we didn't think that Turan was going to be in such a low form and, and earning, you know, being the sixth best player in the squad at 8 million euros per season. So, understandably, there are people within the board and within the fan base that um, are a little bit apprehensive about giving Ozil a huge wage on a yearly basis simply because we don't know the former he'll be at in two years' time. But you know, having seen his career for the best part of 10 years myself, and, you know, this is a player that I, I really have been following very closely because of his links in Madrid and because of the fact that I live here in the UK. This is a player that's been consistent throughout. Uh, this is someone who, you know, as I said earlier, he that has picked up some injuries here and there, but overall um, he's been able to play around 40 to 45 games and it is really important to, to know that this is someone who would make a difference to the team. And in my eyes, it really is a no-brainer. Even though that he would, you know, stay for three more years at the Camp Nou, I think that the investment in money, based on the 20 million we will pay now, would be would be a good idea for the board and would really help the team immediately, which is what we des- definitely necessarily need. You mentioned Tehran, and I absolutely hate the comparisons. I mean, you look at Tehran's peak with Atletico Madrid, and yes, he was a good player for Galatasaray even before that, but Tehran's peak was only you'd say three or four or five years where he really put in these fantastic seasons. While Ozil, now we're going on close to a decade, whether it was, he didn't have many performances for Schalke when he was you know, still a teenager, but then he moves to Werder Bremen. And in Germany for Werder Bremen, 
13 goals, 37 assists in more than 100 appearances, counting his few appearances with Schalke. Then in Liga with Real Madrid, 105 appearances, 19 goals, 55 assists. So that's almost an assist per appearance. And then in the Premier League, 126 appearances, 24 goals, 48 assists. I think all those stats speak for themselves in terms of longevity, where yes, he he is a player who's picked up some injuries, but don't most of those creative types pick up similar injuries, the hamstring injuries or some of those injuries like that? I, I think he has a very similar injury record to that of Iniesta, who has missed a few games here and there or a few weeks here and there, but I, I think so many players do. I wouldn't say he's injury prone. And the other thing is, the reason you're hearing Andre Gomes and Arda Turan and not necessarily other players is because there's two different schools of thought of to what he's going to bring in, where you're worried about money and then you're worried about playing time for youth. And so to address the playing time for youth, while it may be, you say, a downside for Carlos Alenia and Denise Suarez, well, the squad the way it is, and Alenia has not had much time. So nevertheless, you're still going to put Alenia in the Copa del Rey. You're still going to put him in those one-off games. So expect him to play the final Champions League match. I would say because the group is already wrapped up for Barcelona, so no matter what happens, they've won the group. And then you look at Denis Suarez, and we don't know where he is, regardless of who's in the in the club and who's in the squad. So I would hope those two have a future, and I think they would bring Ozil in wouldn't affect those two because you're looking at the guys that would be offloaded, and that's while Tehran hasn't played, Andre Gomes, Ozil would just get his minutes plus a little bit more. Again, we also would be able to rotate Iniesta a little bit because you have that other guy who just can put that ball where it needs to be from the midfield, and he would be just a perfect supplement for Iniesta. The other thing, money-wise, is that, as we said, you don't need to worry about Denise Suarez or Elena because their weekly wages, and Elena is still also on the Barcelona B team. He's not even on the A team books, but Denise Suarez, his wages aren't that high. It's the wages of Tehran week in and week out that are worrisome. And the wages of Gomes aren't that high, but they're still high enough that if you're able to up offload those in January, that's going to basically counterbalance what you're getting for Ozil. And as you talked about, if that's a three-year deal and 32, I will take 32-year-old Mezit, uh, Mesut Ozil with his passing ability and his mind because we looked how efficient a guy like Andre Pirlo, a guy who's known for passing, not known for his hard work defensively, those guys are effective into their mid-30s if they're healthy, not their early 30s of 32. Look at even Iniesta, as we talked about. Iniesta's still very, very effective even when his body's slowing down because his mind is still so sharp. Now, we'll end it on the one point I have, the one question I guess I'd pose to you, though, Frances, is the way Valverde's playing right now with, you know, the Iniesta type, the creative midfielder, and then the Sergio Busquets behind, but then whether it's Paulinho or Rakitic, they have the other defensive midfielder or the more defensive-minded midfielder who should be playing two ways. That's the way Valverde's been playing in almost that, you know, that 4-4-2 situation that I guess you could call it a 4-3-3, but it really isn't. It is really more of a 4-3-3 or against Juventus where it was a 4-2-3-1, if you will, with Suarez being the one up top. So my question is, a guy who's natural at the number 10, a, a traditional number 10 position, not even one of those two midfielders, Iniesta or Xavi, but the number 10 playmaker role, where does he fit in Valverde's system? That's a good question. I think that, and I was thinking about this really hard during the game, and uh, obviously listening to Catalonia Radio as I did yesterday, it seems to be the consensus in Catalonia as well. I, I strongly believe that Valverde is playing that way, which is solid, consistent, prioritizing defense, because that's the players he has, you know? If you really think about it and you analyze the squad at the current moment in time, 
this squad is currently weaker than the squad that Luis Enrique had in his last year. And if you push it, even the previous two years when he wasn't the camp, no. Um, he got in the summer, came to Barcelona, thinking that he was going to have, obviously, Messi. He was going to have a better version of Suarez, because remember, you know, he's picked up a little bit this week. But he's been terrible throughout the whole season. And also, you know, he thought he was going to have Neymar in the team. And Neymar, as we've seen in the Champions League, with the 7-1 riot of, Cel of Celtic just over the, over the midweek, it's clear that Neymar's creativity and potential is something that Barca were counting on for the next five, six years. Now, uh, fast forward to August, Valverde realizes he's arguably his best player together with Messi is no longer going to be there. Then he's trusting a board to go into the market to sign a replacement, but the board proved to be totally inadequate in order to reinforce the, the squad appropriately. They keep chasing shadows, um, trying to, you know, get the... Catalan public opinion to believe that Coutinho was going to be coming, but obviously he never does. And then they make a rash decision to sign Dembélé, which I st still believe is going to be a fantastic decision in the long run, but obviously they're paying a considerable amount for him. Now, how does that link to what we're talking about in terms of Ozil? Well, I think that if Ozil comes to the squad, then Valverde is going to have one of those special, creative, forward-thinking players who can uh, change the team for the better. So I think that the moment that, and if it does happen, it seems that it will, you know, vast majority of people in Catalonia think that this is pretty much a done deal, but, you know, um, we have to wait and see. But the moment that we've got a creative midfielder that the board is determined to sign, most possibly Ozil, obviously, ideally, vast majority of the board won't continue, but, you know, it doesn't seem like Liverpool are going to want to sell again. Um, either that or Ozil at the return of Dembélé then uh, Valverde's got more ingredients to play with and I'm pretty sure that he would adapt his formation accordingly but at this moment in time show Barca not playing brilliantly it's not the Pep Guardiola sort of beautiful football that we loved so much at the time uh, but it is effective our results are being good and there is no reason to believe that once the right people is in the right place e.g. the squad becomes more powerful and the quality increases, that that would change in the future. Yeah, you really are getting Dembele as almost a new signing, if you will, when he comes back and you can be patient with him. And you add Ozil too, and I really like that. It basically, it, it two players who are going to reinvigorate the attack because, I mean, on one side of things, while that game against Juventus was not the most fun to watch, as I said, I was always wondering, you know, the other day as I was watching it, I was, I was thinking, is there really a difference in quality between the way they played against back in the Pep Guardiola years and now? And so I actually went back, Frances, and rewatched some of the Champions League final against Man United. That is very impressive, Dan. Really proud of you. <laughs> Well done. Right. Well, that's that, that's I I basically picked the where I know that that was probably other than the the two shellackings of Real Madrid, the Man United game was one of the most dominant performances we've ever seen. And so I went back and just watched it, and just the 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 way the ball moves, the quickness of the passes, it's just you're right. It's just a different game. But that's why adding someone like Ozil and Dembele, and no, they're it's they're they're not comparable to adding Xavi back in the squad or or in his prime or, or that kind of thing. But it's going to just add a, di a dynamicism to the offense that isn't there. Now, the last thing I'll mention is that 
we're doing this because of a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors, particularly that circulating English media constantly because they need something to talk about. And one of the things, one of the stories that you sent me actually on a few different sources said that Messi has turned down this deal and said no. Well, Messi, who's not on the board, has said no to this because not only does he not show up that being Ozil in big games, but he's also lazy defensively. And I just want to just tell our listeners that that is utter hogwash, not necessarily of him, not necessarily tracking back defensively sometimes, because yes, I think he's, you can be very critical of Ozil, there are times when he doesn't track back defensively, but it's also not his role a lot of the time in a squad at the number 10 with Arsenal to track back and defend. And also, Messi, at times when he's been unmotivated, particularly after his little beef with Luis Enrique, has also been known not to track back, and we never get mad at Messi. And so it's the same thing, that if that, if his role, if Ozil's role is to track back and help out, much like Gerard De La Feu, Valverde will get him to track back defensively and do what he has to do or else he won't play. The same thing is of Messi. When they're pressing and Messi needs to work, he works. And when he doesn't or he's disconnect, disconnected with what's happening, then Messi walks, and that's what happens. And that's just, they're offensively brilliant players, so let them be the offensively brilliant players they'll be. And I think, as we mentioned, we started this by saying yes, and I think unequivocally, maybe that maybe you sacrifice a game or two for Denise Suarez or Carlos Alenia for playing time. But other than that, I cannot think of a single downside of bringing Ozil if the board can get him on a respectable contract, not sign him for a five-year deal, and also get his wages at a reasonable amount. I guess wrapping that all up, Frances, do you have anything else, or can we move on to the tabla? Yeah, no, just very, very briefly, I think that, um, yes, Ozil will be a great addition as we discussed, but I think before we get anyone in, we need to get a wage bill down, and that includes getting, you know, waving goodbye to Turan, who, to whoever wants him. I haven't heard anything this week in terms of Galatasaray's offer being improved, or even Besiktas, as we mentioned as well. And, you know, Andre Gomez, given the fact that the coach clearly doesn't really trust him too much to make any considerable difference, otherwise he would have played. Um, I think that, you know, releasing wage bill is the first step, then bringing someone in and Ozil will be a good choice. Yeah, so easy enough. See, Frances, how fun the Grand Pregunta is when you and I both agree? Yes. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully our listeners are still, you know, happy with us that we actually agree on something for once, which is good. <laughs> well, you know, that, you know, the disagreement takes some research, but let's go to another thing that took a little bit of research, but unlike the Mesut Ozil thing, which was, a, you know, a positive segment, this next segment, just to warn everyone, is going to be a little negative. So other than the first team, which, full disclosure, we're recording this before the Valencia match. So real quick, before the Valencia match, which is basically going to define the top of the table, a lot could change there. So Barca right now, four points up on Los Che and 10 points in front of the Madrid teams after the Madrid teams had a draw last weekend. That was a very exciting 0-0 match, I have to say, as well. I got to view a great portion of that. But nevertheless, so wherever Barca is in the table is dependent on the Valencia match. So we'll quickly move on to Barcelona B. Now, Barca B... Things not so good for them right now. After a one nothing loss to Rayo Vallecano, that saw the return of centre-back Jose Martinez, who's one of the older centre-backs in the squad, and one of those traditional Barcelona B players that most likely won't see a role in the first team because he is in, I think he's 24 at this point. The team struggled, and that's everybody. Everybody in the squad really struggles in that squad to get anything going. And then the one thing I guess we have to mention, there was a particular incident that you probably read about where Alba Ruiz, of course, the young 17-year-old striker, the most promising forward that is in the Barcelona system right now, 
making a rare start for Barcelona B, it should be said as well, usually comes off the bench. He made a mistake, gave up possession, and Rayo Vallecana immediately scored the only goal of the match, and then he was subbed off a few minutes later, got a very emotional on the bench, and was consoled by teammates and the coaching staff, and everyone tried to rally around him, clearly upset. And I think where some might think like, oh no, this means that he's going to get upset and doesn't want to be at the club anymore. To me, it just means that he truly, truly cares and he understands the error of his ways. And you look even at getting that game against Juventus, Iniesta, it should mention, the guy who we trust with our heart, our souls, and everything, he also gave up the, the ball a few too many times. And in that second half, right before he got subbed out, he it led to one or two chances for Dybala that could have been an important goal for Juventus. So it happens at every level, and the fact that he can just he, he, he's learning from this situation and how he moves forward is the most important part. But I think that the fact that the coaching staff and his teammates support him is a positive. The negative is what this means for Barcelona B. Yeah, I, I think I couldn't agree more really um, in terms of the fact that this is a learning process. You know, um, Abel Ruiz obviously was has been fantastic throughout his years in La Masia. He was one of the stars of the Spanish team that um, were runners-up in the recent World Cup Under-17s. Now, there's been a lot of criticism for Gerard Lopez, the Barca B coach, for actually subbing him at the time. But, um, you know, I don't think that the vast majority of people who criticised that were actually watching the game. Uh, there is nothing that I could see, and I've actually rewatched this section of the game a couple of times as well. There is nothing to indicate that Gerard subbed him because of the mistake. You know, the time in the game normally is when subs are made and you know he doesn't normally start and it is only natural that another forward comes on whether that substitution was linked to the mistake i honestly hand in heart can't say because i didn't see related obviously it's one event right after the other so you could argue that i'm just being a bit blind here but i want to give the coach the benefit of the doubt plus even if he was sub because of a mistake the purpose of Barca B and the whole of the Barca youth system, La Masia, etc., is to form players who can become first team starters. Now, if you have made a mistake, of course, it would be better to be nurturing and to, you know, don't worry about it. But sometimes, you know what, life is hard. And if you make a mistake and you get subbed for it, then the next time you will be more careful. You know, maybe I'm taking a very hard line here, but to be honest, it's part of the process. We can't Medical players, you know, these people are working towards being professionals and if you do mess up, there's going to be consequences uh, and, you know, as long as everyone was supportive and, you know, you talk about it in training, you rewatch it um, and you sort of cater for each other's needs in terms of um, attitude, behaviors and feelings, then I don't really see much wrong with it. But having said that, I don't think that's what the coach intended to do. I think that was a pre-planned substitution. But to be honest, we're looking at professionals who need to be at the level of, you know, at least Luis Suarez in order to make a start. Because, you know, look at De Lufeo. De Lufeo is hardly making the team. And we're always talking about who could take that place. If you want to get starters that are going to be there for decades, or they're going to be a proper, real they're going to have a real chance of starting, then you need to nurture them, but also you need to expose them to the real world. And the real world is a little bit nasty sometimes. You just need to be used to it. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that's always a tricky thing with Barcelona B too, because these are professionals. They're playing in the Segunda Division. So unlike his teammate and very good friend, Sergio Gomez, who plays for Juvenile A, 
or Juvenil A, who also had a pretty good game against Juventus in the youth league. And even though he didn't really score, he was still lively and did what he had to do. Some pretty good performances down there, and that's on our Twitter. But nevertheless, I digress. That's all at the amateur level. Barcelona B is both grooming them for the first team in an, in a, in an amateur sense as you know youth training with 17-year-olds. But in the same regard, they're playing against professionals. And so things like that happen. Professionals will make you pay in a way that other 17-year-olds won't. And so the sheer fact that he's still playing at a professional level already for a 17-year-old says a lot to his quality and talent. Now, again, the negative to all this is that now Barcelona B have gone six straight games without a point and are just one point clear of the relegation zone. With Amorea on the horizon, they have to get some points, and they still, however, have five matches remaining before the new year, and then they're going to get a little break there, so they have plenty of chances to make up some ground before even the next month and a half goes by with all of that playing to do. Now, moving over from Barcelona B to the Barcelona Femini, not to be in Dabby Downer again, I told you this is going to be a difficult segment, but they actually fell 1-0 to Granadilla Tenerife, and they now try Atletico Madrid by three points in the table, 28-25, to because Madrid got a victory. And the, the tough thing about that game was they started a very strong 11, though they were having some questions that Brazilian Andresa Alves didn't get off the bench even, and the informed Macedonian Natasa Andonova came on around the 59th minute, and so maybe she would have even started because of her form, or she should have been brought on earlier. But Barcelona still had the better side, even with their starting 11s. They had all the, they had Dugan, they had Martins, they had everybody in their normal starting lineup. And with Real Batiste up next, which is a team that is going to be a little bit of a challenge for Barcelona, now every game becomes a must-win for the women because, as we said, at the top of their table at the Premier Division, you've got to win because Atletico Madrid could very well, I know it's still just November, they could win out for all things considered. And so Barcelona Femini, if they're going to win the title, they're going to have to make sure that they get results. And then next time they're up against Atletico Madrid, they have to get a result there as well. Yep. And, you know, we don't have very positive results this weekend as far as Barca B and Barca Femini are concerned. But then again, that's part of football. You know, they just need to see what went wrong, fix it and, and come out stronger next week. Also, I realized you didn't mention the uh, Champions League table. We qualified uh, with a game to spare and we're first of the group. So I think that's pretty positive too. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect transition to La Bolsa, where particularly in that Champions League game, you've got some players trending up and trending down this week. And I don't want to blow up your spot here, but can you start with Mark Ter- Mark Andre Ter Stegen for me, Frances? Yes. <laughs> I'll let the other two be a surprise. I just You have to start with Ter Stegen. My favorite German goalkeeper. Had a pretty good week. Yeah, that's what I was going to do anyway. So thank you, thank you, Dan, for um, spoiling the surprise again. Uh, yeah, trading up, Mark andre Ter Stegen. Um, it's not new, is it? Um, he's been fantastic throughout the whole season. Um, I just think that, obviously, not having Claudio Bravo and knowing that he's, you know, the regular starter um, did help. But, you know, the level that he's reaching, he's arguably the best, most informed goalkeeper in world football right now. Um, he had a huge game in Leganes. And he had several interventions that, you know, saved the team and, and ensured that the result was positive. Um, against Juventus, he was consistent throughout the game. He was solid, like the rest of the team were. But the thing is, when it really mattered, with a couple of minutes to go, he made a tremendous save, uh, sort of diving to his right and, uh, you know, making sure that Dybala didn't find the back of the net. 
that was tremendous. I think that there is no reason to doubt that he has got every chance of winning the Zamora this season. And because he's so confident and, and he really trusts his skills, he's got you know the full support of the whole of his teammates. Um, Valverde's more defensive focus obviously means that he's better um, resguardado. That means that he's better protected and arguably is the best player of the season. You know, you've got Messi, obviously, who, as we say back home, el come aparte, which is he eats his own meals away from the others, meaning that he's the exception. So, yeah, arguably player of the season for, for Marc-André Ter Stegen. Also trading up this week, um, he wasn't that great against Juventus, but I think that it is great to, to have him in this section, is Luis Suárez. You know, he had been working hard throughout the international break. Um, we were very lucky that Uruguay didn't call him and he stayed at the Ciudad Condal, the Catalan capital, um, working incredibly hard and making sure that he regained his sharpness. He, I don't think he's quite there yet, but I think that what we've seen, particularly over the weekend against Leganes, um, it was him coming back to his most killer style, making sure that he was taking advantage of any loose balls that were around him. He's finishing. I think he got a bit lucky, particularly in the second goal, when the goalkeeper couldn't really deflect the ball really well. But, you know, that aside, the fact that he's finding the net and he's sort of aiming his shots in a much more powerful, confident and accurate manner um, is really, really, really powerful for the game and, and Barca in general. So Luis Suarez, delighted to say, is trading up this week. And the last one... I really wanted to include this player as well. The third player trading up is Paco Alcácer. You know, um, I do get and I do understand that he did not play a single minute against Juventus, which I was very puzzled about. But, you know, rewinding back to the Leganés game over the weekend, he didn't score. But if you think about it, both Luis Suarez goals were created or at least, you know, a result of an effort by Alcácer because he took a couple of very unexpected shots that the Leganes goalkeeper couldn't really do much with and because the ball wasn't sort of stopped or you know rejected in a efficient way ended up landing to Suarez and Suarez put it at the back of the net. I really do think that um, he has picked up form. This is uh, Paco Alcácer and obviously he's going to be a much needed reinforcement and a realistic option for Valverde to start every single game. Um, going back to the Juventus game, Deulofeu was given the start. And although I love Deulofeu and I really always try and celebrate his potential of what he can eventually bring to the team, he was really not very effective against Juventus and he couldn't really break the, 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 the Italian back line down. And I really think that Deulofeu's not that great performance partnered up with Alcácer's very favorable showing against Leganes cements his case to become a regular starter moving forward. Um, we do have to do this. I mean, there's no rules because we actually make up the rules of the podcast. We can do what we want in a way. But um, we like having someone trading down this week. So today it's not necessarily this player has been horrendous, but I think it's a little bit of a heads up. And uh, I think Ivan Rakitic has lost some value this week. Um, he is getting plenty of playing time and he is hardworking and, you know, he is solid and he provides some defensive coverage 
for players that are more creative, such as Iniesta. Iniesta had a great game, so in Juventus, and he could have definitely been in the trading up section of the show. However, I want to I wanna talk about Rakitic because, you know, he's not one to make incredibly fancy dribbles or having Rabonas to the, you know, top corner or creating a spectacular one-twos. But I think what he's adding in terms of um, attack, in terms of attacking transitions, in terms of unbalancing rival defenders is not necessarily up to scratch. And I think that this week I wanted to, to, to you know, make all our listeners aware, I'm sure they are already aware, I wanted to make it clear that uh, Rakitic's performance, particularly from an attacking perspective, could have been better this week. Rakitic, for me, you're right, from I think a, a, an attacking sense needs to do better, but I think the fact that, and this will be a quick transition to El Kiasco actually, you look at Ernesto Valverde's intent, particularly against Juventus, and you got the feeling that on the road against the Italian side, they were looking for a draw. And so I agree with you that he needs to do more offensively, but I think he's doing exactly what Valverde is asking of him, very much in the same way that Paulinho is. And so particularly against Juventus, Rakitic was behind the play with Busquets, and Paulinho was the guy knifing through that attack. And so if Rakitic decides to stand back in the way that he is from an attacking sense and and let Paulinho express himself in the ways that he has... That so far has been a recipe for success for uh, success for Barca. And so I think that it's one of those where trending down sounds negative, but I think it's by the smallest of margins. I could say that Rakitic has been just a, a perfect soldier for Valverde so far. And the lo- other thing I just want to mention with La Bolsa, um, the two guys that I think had trended up a little bit too is uh, Dinier has been very good in, this, in, this, in the last few weeks that he's had appearances. And I think Nelson Semedo with Sergio Roberto out has not been worrisome at all. While he hasn't necessarily been particularly positive, and it's Nelson Semedo is, again, you're feeling him continue to work things out and get accustomed to his teammates and figure out how to play in Barca's system. And so I've been very happy with the development and progress of Semedo because you couldn't expect him just to be thrown in there as a, as a young right back who had played in the Portuguese league and then expect him to be a, you know, I, I, every time I hear English announcers say Danny Alves's name I want to pull my hair out because every single week that's what it is right it's a quick forward thinking right back so he oh so he has to become Danny Alves I mean ideally you'd want him to become one of the best right backs in the history of the game but realistically you can stop at the comparisons just look at his progress from week to week and game to game as a slow process and just be patient and let it happen and I think he's working his way up to being the right-back starter for FC Barcelona, which is a big deal. You know, so I, that's where I stand. I think Nelson Semedo is, is, is working up to and should be mentioned. So, Yeah, I agree, I agree. I think that Semedo is a better defender than Dani Alves ever was for a start. And in terms of attacking, he needs, he needs to grow. You know, he's still very young and he's getting adapted to, to the Barca environment, as you mentioned. Um, obviously, with Semedo on form and being that physical and, and that sharp, I think that Rakitic could have been a little bit more attacking in terms of combining with Semedo moving forward, maybe overlapping each other. And um, I'm just going to say really briefly, as good as Paulinho has been in terms of finishing and and being an impact player in the last, say, 15-20 minutes of matches, I don't want to live in a world in which Paulinho is the media punta, which is the attacking midfielder for Barca. You know, I respect the player. I, he has changed my la- He has changed my mind because of his performances. But 
no, he can't be, he can't have that role. You know, he was with Messi on the bench. He was like the false nine at times. And no, he just, sorry, he just, he's good in a lot of senses, but that is not a use of Paulinho that we should see. I don't think it's fair on him either, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with that 110%, that we're both very happy with the way Paulinho is playing, but I think he has a role in the squad. And so if you take him out of that role or make him do too much, that's when Barcelona's attack doesn't seem as crisp as it could be. So that said, the reason it might not have seemed as crisp against Juventus is because a certain Argentinian forward, maybe where's the number 10, didn't start in that match. And now Francesca the Papers, of course, love to take this one, that Valverde is, you know, sabotaging the squad. It's Messi's sixth time on the bench in the last four seasons, where, again, he's available to play and he starts the game on the bench. But for me... I don't care about this. There's also reports that his coach for Argentina, he told him that he wants to play and be healthy for the World Cup. And again, I'm fine with this, where Valverde on the road wants to play for a draw. And as much as Barcelona fans want to gouge their eyes out because they don't get to see Messi from the start of a game, it's okay to have a 0-0 draw and win your Champions League group. Because as I've said, as gross as it is on the way to get there, if in May they're holding that Champions League trophy or beginning of June or wherever the final is, if they're holding that Champions League trophy and playing the Barcelona way that we know that they're capable of playing and everything is clicking by the spring, I don't care if they let Messi sit. And I think that's fine. And it all becomes on whether or not the player is happy. And with Luis Suarez and Paulinho and his friends in tow, it seems like Messi enjoys playing for Valverde. So as long as that relationship is good and Messi just takes a 60-minute break, I think we should just, again, a, a lot of hogwash, a lot of nothing in the in the English papers, particularly in the Spanish media. We know how they can be as well. Yeah, the Madrid-based media particularly. Um, I think it's quite telling, and it sort of goes back to what I said at the, in La Gran Pregunta. Valverde is making the, the most of what he has. And, and, you know, whether we like it or not, the quality of the squad is not as good as it has been in previous seasons. So what he's thinking is, right, OK, I've got a really difficult game in the weekend, that's in Valencia, and that is, uh, I can't draw points in there, because let's not forget, of course, Barca's results have been great so far, but they're only leading La Liga from Valencia for four points. If you go to Valencia and you win the game, that's seven points on the team behind. You know, maybe Atletico Madrid can, can come back in the future, maybe Real Madrid can come back in the future. But if you're seven points ahead of Valencia, who have been the informed team in Spain in these this um, initial section of the season, then you really have a really good chance, fantastic chance of regaining the La Liga crown. And I think that's what he was prioritizing. Also, going back to last weekend as well, he played a really strong 11 in Leganes as well. You know, so clearly Valverde has been looking at the calendar, which is incredibly busy in November. And he thought, right, okay, I need to focus on securing the points in La Liga because once the Champions League um, games become harder in terms of knockout stages in the future I'm going to need my best players at that stage Champions League of course you know it's um, I think someone referred to it as a showcase game against Juventus and that's the ones Messi likes to play etc but we only needed a point you know and and with the players that um, Valverde fielded they were solid they were strong defensively and the point was achieved we've qualified and we don't have to worry about the Champions League until February you know, all we have to worry about is to work out who we're going to be facing in the next round. We know we're going to be first and that's going to be a team that's second. And that's not going to be Real Madrid because they're obviously um, in the same league in, in Spain. So I think it's job done. You know, uh, you can argue 
you know, we're not playing beautiful football and Valverde is not coaching really well and he doesn't realise he's at Barca. But I think that what he is doing, he's looked at what he's got and he's making the most of it and that's his decision. As most of his decisions so far, that went the right way. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, Messi's goalless streak was up to four games, which for him is a lifetime. But while his mind isn't human, and we just we don't know what alien brain he has that lets him see and do the things he does, and his feet might be alien, he's still a human being that is now 30 years old. While, while it's, again, not a big deal that he went goalless in four games in a row, giving him a rest as a human being, like as a physical athlete, giving him a rest is, is a positive thing. So I think that, again, you don't have to be too cautious, but yeah, I, this is, there's nothing to this. Last season, we were destroyed in, the, in Turin against the Juventus. We were horrendous. I think, was it 4-0 or 3-0? It was terrible. And then we went to Paris and it was 4-0 as well. You know, and, and this season, we've been solid. Of course, not spectacular, but we came away with a point, which is what we needed. That's a far better result than the goal last season when we had Neymar and, and, you know, the rest of the squad being a year younger. So to be honest, it's not that bad and it can only get better once Dembele joins us and hopefully they sign um, someone more creative in the transfer window that's upcoming. And with that, we'll start La Ronda de Preguntas or the quick fire question, our favorite part of the show. Let's start off with Christo one of our normal crew, and you're going to hear a lot of the similar names that like to ask us questions. And if you're somebody who is just listening to the show and not asking us any questions, we read them, we look at them, and we'll read yours as well. So first we'll start with Christo, who knows we'll read his questions. He says, do you like the more pragmatic element that Valverde has brought to the team and tinkering with the Barca DNA a bit? And I, I think we really have covered this, Frances, that he is a pragmatic coach, and that's okay. But this is the time in the in in the fall, if you will, the first half of the season, to get results, use what you have, try to get the most out of players like Paulinho, and try to get players in form, if you will. And you're seeing the defense take a step forward. So even though the Barca DNA offensively may not feel like Barcelona, the defense is fantastic and the best it's been in a few seasons. So I would say he is hearkening back to the days of Puyol, if you will, at how good the defense has been. Yeah, I think the answer to the question is no. I don't necessarily like it. I don't love it. I don't think it's spectacular. But it's probably what the team needs right now so that when February, March comes, our players are fresher and we've got a real chance of uh, true success at the end of the season. James Coulet asked something very similar. Is he managing Barca like a small club? And I say no, because you the fact that he knew he was going to get the backlash from sitting Messi, that tells you that he knows he has big characters, big personalities, big egos in that club. And so he has to be very delicate with playing time. And so I think he is managing like he's managing FC Barcelona. Yeah, and also we leaving Messi on the bench. I think you can't just say the start well you could but I don't think that he did this he could have just said yeah there's 11 players starting and just read them out like my football manager always used to do and then not mentioning Messi's name I think Messi found out before the lineup was announced and there was a discussion around it and I'm not saying that Valverde has to run it past Messi but I think that as a matter of courtesy with the best player to ever play football it is something that the coach would have done in consensus with him and made him aware before announcing it to the squad. But, you know, I think that, as I said before, vast majority of decisions are working on his favor so far. 
Arsacio asks, when Busquets is playing well, Barca play well. Has his improvement from the disappointing last season been our unsung savior? And I think I would agree with that. Where Ter Stegen, we're finally noticing. Umtiti, we've noticed. And Busquets, you and I very you know nonchalantly, and a lot of Barca Kules will say this, that they'll say, well, when Busquets is playing well, the team plays well. And it's, it's this blanket statement, and we don't cover him week to week. And he makes mistakes he has some lapses where he gives the ball up but he's so important you talk about Barca DNA if Busquets is not playing well Barcelona's DNA is is unrecognizable because Messi is Messi and Messi would be Messi you'd have to say anywhere but Busquets particularly the camp no is just he is that guy and so him playing well this season has helped them keep those clean sheets yeah, and I also think that the fact that the team is playing more cohesively, solid, and the game is more controlled, um, is 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 being better for for his way of playing. Um, he's surrounded by defensive-minded players who allow him to shine a little bit more, and because he's got that incredible talent of moving the ball around and always sort of knowing where where the ball should go, I think he's shining a little bit better. But obviously, he stepped up a gear, which is great for Barca. And hopefully we'll result in titles um, when it really matters at the end of the season. Okay, Copera asked, how good is Ter Stegen right now? For me, top two or three for sure. And I would go back to what we've said. I think he's still in that vein where if he plays like he's playing this season for maybe two or three consistent seasons, where this really is that breakout year for him. And if he can keep this up and be like this for the next, not even two, three years, but five years, certainly I think he would be recognized as top two or three. But I think he's still, you know, five to seven, five to ten at this point. Yeah, and I also, you know, I don't think it's that important to know whether he's in the top five. He's the best goalkeeper we've got at Barca right now, <laughs> obviously. And um, his performances are helping the team win. And that's all that matters. So for me, whether he's top five, top, top 97 makes very little difference. He's someone who's making a difference and he's a contender for player of the season at the moment. All right, let's pick it up a little bit. Sapin Kule asked, how much money should we spend in January for new signings? As much as necessary. I would say if it's Coutinho, something around 100 million would be the limit. And if you can get someone like Ozil for 20 million, then go for that. Uh, beyond that, I'm not quite sure what the board is trying to do, but I think either one of those two players um, is what the board is focusing on at the moment, or at least that's what the Catalan media are saying. Charlie, Barca, of course, asks, will Valverde have to play more attacking football in the Barca style when Dembele returns? I think he will choose to do that. I think he, it's not that he needs to do it, but I think he will want to do that. And that would be a really good choice, uh, not because of the fact that Gules want Barca to play beautiful football, which obviously matters. I think it's because the team will be better and results will improve. They're good already, but they will become even better once Dembele is able to, you know, unbalance rival defenses in the way that he was doing at Dortmund and hopefully will do for us. Abdullah asked, what do you think of Alverde's substitution policy? And Abdullah actually says it seems off to him on many levels. He doesn't use all the subs, even if below par performance warrants fresh legs from the bench. Thoughts on that? And I would say that comparable to Luis Enrique's substitution policy i love alvarez yeah no i agree i agree i think that he's always looking for what the objective is what is the point of this game what do we want to get out of it he's very practical 
He is very analytical in terms of he can really sort of see what's going on in front of him. He knows his players really well. I also think that he's studied the amount of, you know, um, playing time that they've had. They also, throughout training, they monitor, you know, the current fitness and fatigue that's been accumulated. And I think that what he does is really methodical in the sense that it's based on evidence. And I think that, you know, every time he's made a substitution, the game has changed as a result and a lot of the time for the better. So hats off to him. Padilla asked a very similar question about Ter Stegen. Why isn't he considered one of the best keepers in the world? He's done fantastic this season, but is it because we play more defensively? So I think the second question is a harder one. The first one, I think, is that it's his first season at this truly elite level, I'd say. And the reason for him getting more notice is not that our defense has been so good, but that I think he is has, with his height, he's one of those goalkeepers that has those quick reflexes and is a, is able to make those astonishing saves. And I think to her point, Padilla's right, that because Barcelona are, unlike Luis Enrique, who was willing to win a game 5-3, to three, Valverde wants to win one nothing, Or even against Juventus, he was willing to have a 0-0 draw. And so that's going to put Ter Stegen in the spotlight a little more. I think Ter Stegen has been doing fantastically well. And, you know, when you've got players coming at you one-on-one, I always think back about what Victor Valdez used to be exposed to uh, constantly. Uh, obviously, you've got a better chance. You know, when you've got one-on-one, it's harder. When you've got a more controlled game, you sort of can see where the shots are coming from in a slightly easier, more controlled way. But still difficult. And hats off to Ter Stegen for what he's doing. All right, we've got three more, and we got to be really quick on these. Athletic FC asked, should Rakitic leave if Coutinho comes aboard? And I'd say that playing time will get difficult to go around, but you're just going to have to trust the board on that, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that Rakitic should not be the player to leave. I think Andre Gomez and Arda Turan should leave before him. If you push it, I think even Denis Suarez should leave before him based on the contributions they're making to the team right now and their wage. And the Pena Blagrana in London asked a question about Rakitic as well, that the whole Barca Twitter community is against Rakitic, so why does Valverde persist to use him? And what is EV hoping to get out of the player? And I think the answer is he's asking him to play his role and help them get a 0-0 draw against Juventus. Not to go back to this, but I think Rakitic is doing defensively what Valverde is asking of him, and he is putting the onus on Luis Suarez and Messi and Iniesta to get things done offensively. Yeah, I agree, Dan. I think that Rakitic is someone who performs well and reliably and consistently. Obviously, as I said before, um, earlier in the show, I think he needs to step it up a little bit in terms of um, production moving forward. But I think that Rakitic is a very bad player who undoubtedly should make a difference to the team coming forward a little bit more than he has been so far. And in terms of the Barca community not liking him, I think that really doesn't matter too much. I think that all we need is players that are supported. by the fans, but if they're not supported by the fans, they need to believe in themselves, um, you know, strongly enough, as I'm sure he does. And he's a Croatian international, he's someone who's going to make the World Cup in the summer. So whereas people like him or not in, in on Twitter, I think matters to him very, very little. And I'm very happy that that's the case because he is a great player that uh, hopefully will continue to impress and be a valid player for us for years to come. Last question. You've got 10 seconds, Frances. Patricio asks, a lot of media are saying that we're not playing well. Doesn't that mean we should be really happy with the way things are going right now? We should be happy with the results and we need to be demanding with the way we play moving forward once we've got the right tools um, in the right place. 
Well, as I always used to say, enough said on that. As we are wrapping up TBP 49, that's all. Please subscribe, comment, support the show any way you can, whether it's iTunes with a review or Patreon, if you're able to take those $3 or $5 or whatever you're willing to give us to help us continue to make new shows as we have a big 50th show coming up next week. We'll put that in your ears. But until then, thanks for listening again to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. We'll talk to you soon and Forza Barca. Forza! Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.